You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have EasyJet, DS Smith, AJ Bell, Future, British American Tobacco, and our US company of the week is Snowflake. Sam, shall we kick off with EasyJet? Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so EasyJet, the UK budget airline, had their full year results out this week with pre-tax losses coming in at £1.1 billion, with a 52% reduction in revenue to £1.5 billion. That was partially offset by a fall in the headline costs to £2.6 billion. Total passenger numbers were down 57.5% to 20.4 million, with a 48.8% fall in the number of seats flown. Planes that were flown were only 72.5% full, compared with 87.2% last year, and total passenger revenue was down more than 50% to £1 billion. Ancillary revenue, including extra baggage at food drinks, fell by 35% to £458 million. Meanwhile, cost per available seat kilometre, excluding fuel, rose 9.1% to £6.23. Net debt at the end of September stood at £910 million, down from £1.1 billion a year earlier. And the group currently has access to £4.4 billion of liquidity, including cash and equivalents and undrawn credit facilities. The recent rights issue generated proceeds of £1.2 billion. So far, the group have said that it's too early to predict what effect the new COVID variant will have. But despite that, they're expecting that summer travel capacity will approach pre-pandemic levels. However, the first quarter of the new financial year is expected to see capacity of only around 65% of pre-pandemic levels. In terms of valuation, there are no earnings, but the price to book stands at 1.44 compared with a 10-year average of 2.2. And there is currently no dividend. EasyJet, for reference, has a market cap of just under $4 billion. Pretty shocking results, but probably what was in line with market expectations and what I guess we off air we were already expecting Sam any chance that you'd buy EasyJet at at the current price I mean it is very depressed no earnings but price to book guess on paper is cheap I don't think there's any price at which I'd buy an airline full stop Um, I know that, mate. I was was trying to think of something else today because that makes for quite a boring episode. I think it's probably in a lot better state after doing a rights issue than it would be if it'd done a debt issue. Mm. I don't know the history of it. I don't know if it maybe tried to do a debt debt issue and no one had lend to it. But I think Mm. obviously it's bad for the shareholders. But I mean, it would be very, very unhealthy if it had 1.2 billion of extra debt instead of equity. It's actually trading. I know you gave the price of book. It looks like it's about 12 times normalized earnings, which Mm. I think. Quite expensive, really. Because mm. I mean, give it, give it, yeah. Given the predicament it's in, yeah, you'd expect a bit more. I don't know, a PE, a normalized PE of twelve for a business that's in such a state, mm. and with so much uncertainty about when we'll return to normal levels and costs going up, uh, yeah. fuel prices are going to be pretty high at the minute as well. Yeah. It it seems quite expensive. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll just see how the actual share price is done. I mean, I can't imagine it's done particularly well. So in the past 
year it's down 26%. And over the last five years, it's down 38%. But I think that's not that much considering the state of the business. What do you think? Yeah, uh, no, I would I would tend to agree with you. And I think there are, like you, you, you've sort of outlined, so many headwinds for the business, and especially with a new variant. I mean, they, they, it seems quite bullish to say you expect things to be back to almost back to normal by the next next summer. So I suppose one thing is, even if the government restrictions uh, are lighter by the next summer, it's still that uncertainty that they may change. And if people like to plan ahead for the holidays, they may decide again for another year to do a staycation, which obviously is terrible for EasyJet. So I wouldn't be optimistic that things are going to get better or dramatically better for them anytime soon, especially with this news of the new variant that's come through in the last few weeks. Yeah. And that's quite apart from everything else that's structurally, um, and I suppose fundamentally bad about the business. Yeah, to be honest, it's just not even in the best of times. I don't think it's a business I'd ever have considered. Mm, yeah. What's that? I'll just find it, but there's the Buffett quote about airlines. I'll read the full quote. The worst sort of business is one that grows rapidly, requires significant capital to engender the growth, and then earns little or no money. Think airlines. Here, a durable competitive advantage has proven elusive ever since the days of the Wright brothers. Indeed, if a far-sighted capitalist had been present at Kitty Hawk, he would have done his successes a huge favour by shooting Orville down. You'd be in agreement with that. My my thoughts echo that, yeah. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, on to another company then, DS Smith. Yes, DS Smith, well, they do, they do packaging. We've covered them a few times before on the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, they've come out with half-year results. Sexy and, business. And no spoilers, though. So they've come <laughs> out with their half-year results, and revenue is up 22% to $3.4 billion. There was increased demand for retail and sustainable packaging, which meant volume reached record levels. There was especially strong growth in the US and Southern Europe. The group's been able to offset rising input costs through lower energy costs and raising prices. As a result, underlying operating profit rose 26% to $276 million. DS Smith said it's on track to meet its targets for the second half of the year and announced an interim dividend of 4.8p, which is up 20% year over year and in line with the dividend policy. We've highlighted this before, but it makes most of the paper it needs in-house. I, th- I think from memory, it's about 80%, but it's wanting to cut that to about 60%. Mm. So this means it'll get, when it's when paper prices fall, it'll be getting its raw materials cheaper. But when paper prices are high, it's going to cost more. My view, as last time, is I'd prefer a business to be becoming more vertically integrated rather than less, because they've just got more control over the costs then but anyway if we go into the results in more detail corrugated box volumes rose 9.8 percent compared to 8.8 percent last year and on a rolling 12-month basis volumes are up 8.8 percent revenues in northern europe rose 20 percent to 1.3 billion reflecting strong box volumes and price increases the region also benefited from higher selling prices of paper and recycled fiber these benefits, as well as the benefits of scale from the higher volumes, more than offset increased input costs and underlying operating profit rose 30% to 87 million. Similar trends played out in Southern Europe, where better tourism trends in Iberia also helped. Revenue was up 27% to 1.2 billion, while underlying operating profit rose 28% to 122 million. Eastern Europe saw revenues rise 26% to 523 million, again because of higher volumes. However, underlying operating profit fell 11% to 31 million, largely due to increased paper costs as the region is slower to pass these on to customers in the short term. In North America, revenue rose 7% to 274 million, and underlying operating profit rose 64% to 36 million. 
free cash flow of 188 million was lower than the 207 million achieved at the same time last year. Net debt was 1.6 billion down from 1.8 billion and is now equivalent to 1.9 times cash profits. In terms of valuation, the business trades at a PE ratio of 11.5 and the 10 year average is 12.1. The prospective dividend yield over the next 12 months is 4.1%. My view is these are very good results. One thing I did check when I looked at them, because revenue increase of 22% and underlying operating profit of 26% is very impressive. So mm-hmm. I had a look at last year's results. because I thought, well, I couldn't actually remember. I thought, well, maybe they were up against easy com- comps, but last year's results were pretty much, there was a slight drop from the previous year, but it wasn't much. It was up against quite tough comps. So these are really very good results. I also think the debt at 1.9 times cash profits, I don't think that's really a level where you need to worry about it. And I think that dividend yield is very attractive. What are your thoughts, John? Yeah, no, I would echo that. I mean, I I think they were impressive results as well. And they managed to raise the prices, which was, I suppose, in something like boxes, you don't always expect. And I guess overall, it's that sort of defensive business, which is kind of on a growth trend with online retail. So I, I do like it, actually. I'm surprised it is as cheap as it is. It's not, you know, uh, in terms of its uh, price to earnings, it's not more expensive. What, do, you, do you think there's any reason that it's being sort of held back? Maybe inflation concerns? But mm. they've, they've, we, I mean, we discussed that last time. And it was... I think the conclusion was we thought they would be able to pass them on and they have been mm. able to, but I think that's going to continue because like you look around, there's just inflation absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Week after week, we see companies talking about inflation and saying they're going to be, I mean, when was it last couple of weeks ago, we looked at Britvic and they're yeah. up in their prices and that's, yeah. you know, a can of Coke's maybe something where you'd want to keep it, but everyone is up in the prices. So I don't think yeah. in that sense, inflation's as much of a problem just because mm you can up your prices because everyone expects it. Yeah. yeah but I yeah, think it's yeah. very reasonably priced. Yeah. Would and you be adding it to the watch list, buying shares? Possibly. It's definitely good enough for the watch list. I do yeah. like it. Yeah. No, good. Next company, AJ Bell. So as you're probably aware, it's 250 listed and it's an online investment platform. They had their full year results out this week with total customers up 30% to 382,000 and net inflows of 6.4 billion pounds with assets under administration up 29% to 72.8 billion pounds. Meanwhile, assets under management were up 175% from 800 million pounds to 2.2 billion pounds. Alongside this, customer retention remained high at 95%. Revenue was up 15% for the year to £145.8 million compared with £126.7 million the previous year. And profit before tax came in at £55.1 million, which is a 15% increase on the £48.6 million made last year. Diluted earnings per share were also up 13% to 10.67 pence a share. And the group remains in a strong financial position with net assets up 19% on the year uh, to just over £130 million. The group's dividend policy is 65% payout ratio of profit after tax with special dividends to return surplus capital to shareholders periodically and will pay an ordinary dividend of 4.5p 
and a special dividend of 5p. So there's a total dividend of 11.96p for the year, which is just over 3%. The business is also launching Touch, which is a new app. So it's sort of essentially integrating its platform onto the mo- onto mobile devices. And there's Doddle, which has been in the press um, in the last couple of weeks, which is essentially going to be a commission-free investment platform trading app, similar to some of the competitors that are out there. And that's due to launch in the first half of 2022. So it'll be alongside the existing direct consumer platform. It'll only have a limited range of shares, but at an annual charge of 0.15% and no commission charges or charges if you're using the service in tax wrappers like ISAs, it's very competitive with some of those other platforms out there. The chief executive, Andy Bell, came out and said, our focus remains on investing in our brand and enhancing our positions to meet the evolving needs of our customers by providing a stable, secure platform with a wide range of investment solutions and a consistent high quality service at a low cost. The launch of two new platform propositions, Doddle and Touch, during 2022 will complement our existing range of propositions, ensuring we are well positioned to capitalise on the opportunities created by the next generation of customers seeking to use a platform for their investment needs. The business has a clear and focused strategy and the board and EMB appointments made during the year will strengthen our senior leadership teams as we move to the next stage in our growth strategy, or growth journey rather. The business is at an exciting juncture and I look forward to working with them to execute our business strategy. The high calibre of our people and our strong culture has enabled us to thrive in what have been extremely challenging times. I would like to thank all of our staff across the business for their hard work, commitment and dedication, which has ensured another successful year for AJ Bell. In terms of valuation, AJ Bell is FTSE 250 listed and has a market cap of just over £1.5 billion and it trades at 35 times earnings and it will be paying a dividend this year, a total dividend, including a special of just over 3.1 or about 3.1%. So, I mean, it's clearly a very cash generative business, but there is a lot of competition um, and that's increasingly driving down the margins with the advent of the commission-free platforms. I suppose the group is at least partially mitigating at this um, with Doddle and also investing in a better mobile platform with the Touch app. But I think that trend would worry me in the long term. And also, while there are very good results, it's there are a lot of tailwinds for the business at the moment with the market volatility and quantitative easing. So in a rising market with lots of money sloshing around, I suppose you might expect these, you know, the results to be very good. But the longer term trends would probably worry me a little bit. What are your thoughts on AJ Bell and these results, Sam? I think they're pretty decent results. I think the you know, the, the growth, so the customers grew by just under 30%. My only thing is, this is a business that is a lot smaller than Hargreaves Lansdowne. It's less mm-hmm. than a quarter of the size in terms of number of customers. Mm-hmm. And 29.6% growth. If you go back to the June 21 results for Hargreaves Lansdowne, their growth was 16.5%. Mm-hmm. And I just think, for a business that's a quarter of the size or less than a quarter of the size, actually, I would expect the growth rate to be higher compared to Hargreaves Lansdowne's. I just mm. sort of think if you're going to go for one of those companies, Hargreaves is the best. 
So I, I would expect it to be growing a lot quicker. Otherwise, why wouldn't you go for the safety of the market leader? And then it's yeah. and you know, in terms of valuations as well, P of 35, Hargreaves is at 21. So yeah. I think I just I'm biased because I'm a Hargreaves shareholder, but I've looked at AJ Bell a few times and it just doesn't impress me. Um, yeah. or not not as much as Hargreaves does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting as well. So they've said the customer retention rate is 95%. So Hargreaves give theirs as about 92%, but they highlight that a lot of, here we go, shots. So there's some shots fired in the Hargreaves results from <laughs> the June one. Said, we note that other providers quote this measure with active clients defined as, as those with over one pence of their platform. Uh, <laughs> so it's interesting. if you've got a penny in there, they count you as an active, as a, as a retained customer. Whereas Hargreaves, sorry, Hargreaves only do ones with over £100 on the platform. So that's why theirs is a bit lower. The revenue was up 15% and that was about the same as Hargreaves revenue increase. And that was mm. when they added customers at a higher rate. However, their profit before tax was up 13%. That compared to about 8% to Har- for Hargreaves. Yeah, I just I just don't think it's as good as Hargreaves. In terms of the, the app, I think that's quite interesting. I think it's going to be interesting now to see if Hargreaves come out with their own version. Yeah. The only thing is, if you yeah. look at the people that are using Hargreaves, I don't know if it's quite the same for AJ Bell, but the Hargreaves clients are usually bigger clients with more money to manage, whereas the, the ones that this this new app Doddle's competing against, it's it's the people with a few grand. Yeah. That are, you know, they are basically just buying stuff like Tesla and stuff. It's it's much younger people. I think I said it before. It's it's you probably that doddle it'll be attracting like the 21 year olds with a thousand pound portfolio if you're a partner in a law firm and you've got 500k that you want to invest you're not going to be using doddle yeah what i was going to say what do you think of it as a strategy and like obviously for aj uh, sorry yeah for aj bell and then something that hargreaves may or may not adopt well that'll be interesting because if you get them on as if you get say it is 21 year olds with with a grant to invest if you get them on at 21 with a grant do you get to a point where you can then shift them onto the main app and say and say, look, you probably need something a bit more suited to your needs at this point, even if it's going to cost a bit more. So that'd be interesting. Of, but Yeah. One of the 50 stocks that they may, offer, well, that they will offer, I'm sure will be Tesla. But then when you, if you do want other stocks um, or index funds, whether it's going to, yeah, they'll be available on the main platform. And yeah, is. that sort of transfer across. And then I suppose also that transfer across and whether those people then go into sort of having their assets managed for them. Mm. you know whether you can convert that which yeah and i know it's i know it is essentially offering the same service at a lower price you can buy and sell stocks but i don't know it's it's also it's it's aimed at very very different people Mm. so it's yeah i I don't worry too much about it and part of the reason i don't worry about it is because it's just not showing up in if you look at aj bell or hargreaves lansdown it's not showing up in the numbers they are mm. doing well. It's not like there's just this outflow of customers. It's like, oh, well, they must be going to free trade and trading 212. That just isn't happening. Yeah, it's it's something that's what would worry me in the longer term, that at some point does does that start to pressurise them more? Um, but, but when Hargreaves is still growing at, what is it, about 15% a yeah. year, it's the market yeah. leader. It's a very, very good business, very well known. And it's at a P of 21 and the shares basically haven't budged in five years. I think that's already priced in. Yeah, and to be fair, it probably is priced in. But I guess it's a trend that we've seen more in the US where, you know, and commission and the platform fees have just been driven down. And 
yeah, as you as, as you say, we haven't seen it so much in the UK, but that that would be my worry. But probably is priced in. Shall okay. we move on to future? Future, yes, Sam. So future, we have covered it before on the show. So they just trying to think of how to think of them. So they're basically like a, a magazine company. A lot of these brands are also online. So some of the some of the brands they've got that PC Gamer, Cycling News, Country Life, Tech Radar stuff like that basically so they've got a lot of these magazines basically and then last year they also acquired goco which is a company that has go compare the price comparison website yeah they've come out with their full year results and they've announced full year revenue rose 79 percent 606 million reflecting growth in all divisions except events and digital licensing however that includes the acquisition of Go compare, which added a significant chunk. So if chunk if so, if you exclude acquisitions, revenue rose twenty three percent to three hundred twelve point one million. Underlying operating profit, which excludes costs associated with acquisitions, was one hundred ninety five point eight million, up from ninety three point four million last year. And the group expects full year twenty two performance to be ahead of current expectations. The board has proposed a dividend of 2.8 per share, which is up 75% year on year. And the shares rose 15.4% on the announcement. It's probably worth splitting them. So the media division revenue was 422 million and the magazine division revenue was 184 million. Media division, that was up 27% on an organic basis. And that was driven by good performance in digital advertising and e-commerce, which was up 27 and 36% respectively. This was offset to some extent by a drop in other media as the pandemic impacted events. Magazine division, organic revenue was up 4% to 184 million and growth was entirely driven by print and digital, digital content, while print advertising, licensing and other print declined. On a geographic basis, the UK saw revenue increase to 396.6 million, which was up 17% on an organic basis. Digital displays, advertising, and e-commerce grew a combined 25%, with magazine revenue up 11%. UK events continue to feel the impact of the pandemic, but look to be the recovering in the second half. Revenue was also up in the US to 212 million, so just over half the UK revenue, reflecting 27% organic growth. Strong growth in e-commerce was boosted by revenue from the acquisitions of Cinema Blend and Marie Claire. The group completed its integration of GoCo, delivering 6 million in synergies last year, with a further 8 million expected next year. The group posted underlying free cash flow of 199.3 million, an increase of 103 million year over year. At the end of September, net debt increased from 62 million to 176.3 million, reflecting an increase in borrowing to fund acquisitions. So if net debt's 176 million, and they're saying the underlying operating profits 195 million. I don't think that's really an issue at all. And it's this is just from the website as well. This they split out the revenue a bit more. So, and also the bid business model. So advertising, which makes up 40% of revenue, is a revenue we earn from ads displayed alongside our content on various platforms, our websites, social platforms, videos, email newsletters, magazines, and events. Premium content monetization makes up 22% of revenue, and that is made through the direct purchase of content or services from consumers. For example, the sale of magazines, either directly or from, from the newsfeed or through subscriptions or the purchase of an online membership. Affiliates, which is 36% of revenue, is the commission we earn when an online user clicks through to a retailer or service provider's website to make a purchase. So in terms of the valuation, business is trading at a P ratio of 22 
and that compares to a five-year average of 20.1. And the prospective dividend yield over the next 12 months is 0.1%. John, what are your thoughts on future and these results? They're good results. I don't know what to make of future as a company. And certainly, I suppose a lot of it is hinging, or is going to be in the future, hinging on the well, the acquisition of GoCo. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I understand the business well enough, to be honest. What are your thoughts on the acquisition of GoCo and how that's being integrated into future? It seems to be slotting in quite nicely. I can see why they've done it, but I do think it's still a very different business to the ones they already had. Mm-hmm. And I know they're saying there's some synergies, but I my view is that if the future investors wanted to invest in a price comparison business, they should have distributed cash to them and they could have then gone out and bought it. I don't really think that management should have been bolting on GoCo. That being said, I think that if the fi- so if the five-year average P ratio is 20.1 and it's now 22 with GoCo, I think it is a better business with GoCo in there. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, you want the magazine side of the business to be as small a proportion as possible. And it is pretty small now. Yeah, so it's only about 30% is now magazines. So I think it's probably a better business than it has been at any point in the past five years. And it's only slightly above the five-year average for the PE. But yeah, I'm not... That? Just remind me of the PE. PE is 22 compared to a five-year average yeah. of 20.1. I'd, I wouldn't have bought Future. I wouldn't buy Future, but I wouldn't <laughs> have bought it prior to the GoCo acquisition. I think GoCo is probably the most interesting part of the business. But if I wanted a pure play price comparison, I'd go out and buy it, which I have with Money Supermarket. But you could have bought shares in GoCo prior to this. And if I was a GoCo shareholder, I probably wouldn't have held on. I probably wouldn't still be holding shares in future. I don't know if they paid for it in cash or shares, but I I wouldn't have wanted future with GoCo in it if I was holding GoCo on its own. Okay. Okay. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I suppose I'm just not really interested as a business. I don't understand it well enough, but I'm probably not going to look at it that much further. And yeah, like you, I think I would on the whole prefer pure plays um, rather than a magazine. Well, I don't know. What would you describe it? An advertising company that's... It probably is an advertising company, yeah. Yeah, um, that's adver- um, that has acquired a price comparison site. No, um, I don't. It, I mean, the, the, result, the results on the surface of it look fairly decent, so... I suppose we'll wait and see. Yeah. Well, if it can okay. continue growing at 20% a year. Well, exactly. <laughs> that exactly. PE looks pretty cheap. But yeah. We'll find yeah. out. So, uh, we move on to well, business that's not growing at 20%. Y- y- a year. Yeah. I was, about to, I was about to say that. Um, yeah. So, British American Tobacco, which is the FTSE 100's largest tobacco company, had a trading statement out this week announcing that the company is on track to deliver on its full year results in line with guidance. And revenue growth is expected to be above the 5% mark with underlying earnings per share in the mid-single figure growth. As we saw with Imperial Brands recently, traditional tobacco products benefited from strong pricing with volume recovery, although it's you know not significant growth in emerging markets, partially offsetting uh, the drop in the US, which British American Tobacco has a much larger exposure to after acquiring Reynolds Tobacco a few years ago. 
And what was particularly notable in the results uh, was the non-combustibles, so largely the e-cigarettes, which saw users grow or up 3.6 million to a total of 17.1 million worldwide, with Views, Velo and Global brands all performing strongly. And Views is currently a global leader, reaching 34.1% category value share in the top five vapor markets and it's the leader in 26 US states and the group hopes in the longer term that non-combustibles will be turning a profit by 2025. Jack Bowles, the chief executive, said that 2021 is the pivotal year in our transformation journey to build a better tomorrow benefited from continued strong growth in the new category so the sort of e-cig performance, which is now a sizable uh, contributor to the group revenue growth, and we're making excellent progress towards our £5 billion revenue target by 2025, supported by a clear focus on THP. By leveraging our increased sale, new categories will contribute to profit growth for the first time as their losses start to reduce, a key step on our pathway to profitability by 2025. We're building strong, fast-growing global brands of the future, adding another 3.6 million consumers of non-combustible products in the first nine months of the year, more than all of 2020. Our strong focus on cash flow and deleveraging continues. We recognise the clear value of a share buyback at the current valuation. We also continue to be clear on the need to deliver on our 2021 commitment to reduce leverage to around three times adjusted EBITDA and expect to reach this by the year end. This will provide greater capital allocation flexibility as we enter 2022. Sustainability is at the core of our transformation with ESG deeply embedded throughout our business. Alongside the acceleration in new categories, we continue to advance our ESG agenda with stretching metrics, signing up to the UN-backed Race to Zero global campaign, the next phase in our journey to create a sustainable enterprise of the future is being accelerated by our transformation program, Quest, leveraging our agile organization and building the success of our business simplification program, Quantum. We are accelerating our transformation with continued strong momentum across new categories and are confident in delivering our 2021 financial guidance. Shares are up 8.6% on the week. And in terms of the valuation, the group has a market capitalization of around £63 billion and trades at about 7.5 or 7.5 times forward earnings, compared with a 10-year average of just under 13.5 times forward earnings. Currently yields a prospective 8.7%. Similarly to Imperial, on paper, the company seems incredibly cheap, but obviously it's something that with its traditional business, so the uh, uh, combustible tobacco products, is in structural decline. But the, the revenue growth of the non-combustibles is impressive. I suppose, as always with these business, with the tobacco businesses, ongoing regulatory threats, particularly with the potential for a menthol ban in the US, which British American in, in comparison with Imperial brands has greater exposure to after having or acquiring Newport as part of the Reynolds deal. So it is a bit more at risk from that. I suppose the counter argument to that was 
where we have seen menthol bans, like in the UK, it hasn't really impacted significantly on volumes or revenue. I think those people who are smoking menthols have just moved to smoking regular cigarettes. So how much of a worry that is, I don't know. Sam, what are your thoughts on the trading update in British American and perhaps British American in comparison with Imperial brands? Firstly, I admire their confidence in <laughs> saying that they're building a better tomorrow and trying to position themselves as a company that e, uh, ESG investors would like. Um, you, don't, you don't think they would? I, I think it's a hard ask, but I, I like the optimism. You don't think uh, Gen Z would buy into British American? I don't know. I, I'm certainly not sure about building a better tomorrow selling cigarettes, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but, you know, they've, they've got to say something. But, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was very, very good. I thought it was particularly good, like you, with the new categories. I think I think 50% is very impressive, especially, and that's that new category. So new categories revenue is 800 million. That compares to overall revenue of 12.2 billion. Yeah. So it's starting to become a decent amount now. Whereas when we looked at Imperial Brands a few weeks ago, new categories had actually declined, hadn't they? And they were pulling out of markets like Russia. Yeah. I mean, the yield, you're probably going to get... I mean, maybe they will be successful and all the ESG funds will start adding British American tobacco. (laughs) I don't think that's likely. So I think (laughs) the the current PE ratio, you're probably not going to get... a any re-rating in the multiple Hmm. and it's probably going to continue to churn out the same amount of cash for a while so your return is basically going to be in the form of the 8.7 percent dividend i think that's fine i think that's probably going to beat the footsie i mean there is there is the i mean they have mentioned the prospect of the share buyback yeah and the buybacks as well yeah sorry what what do you think of the buyback i mean i think it's no i I think when the shares at the current price yeah i mean there's an argument maybe they should increase the dividend but i think any combination of returning the cash to shareholders. I'd rather they do that than go out and buy a price comparison website and the <laughs> shareholders can do what they like with it. Or like Philip Morris going out and buying a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, I'd rather they bought a price comparison website. <laughs> but no, I, I, I think it's really good. And especially we, we covered it last time we talked about Rich America. Obviously, it's prices if it doesn't have the future. And then when you look at how well New Categories is doing, yeah, it looks like it actually might. Well, we, we, this is anecdotal, but when we were out uh, for a recent night out in the smoking area... There, there aren't that all that many people smoking, but more a lot of people vaping. I didn't question what they're going outside to the smoking area for. Today, <laughs> well, they were va- well, they were well, they were vaping inside and outside, but they were certainly vaping outside. Yeah, I'm not very impressed with that. But anyway, yeah. it's um, it's a trend. It's, yeah, I don't, I don't. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> I do think of the two though. I much prefer. And this is this has only come actually from the last few times we looked them on the show. I, I didn't really appreciate the difference, but I think British Americans are much better business than Imperial brands now. Yeah, I know. I would, and it, it's much more global. It's much more diversified, and I think it does have stronger brands within its portfolio as well. It's not that much more expensive on paper either. So I think between the two, British American would look like the better company. Mm. And it's just a difference in the performance of the new categories for me. I think yeah. it's doing a lot better. Did you see yeah. the New Zealand have brought out a new law where yes, they're, they're banning the mentioned. sale of they're banning the sale of tobacco basically to anyone born after two thousand and eight. So that's how yeah. they're going to phase out smoking. 
Yeah. But I mean, does prohibition ever work? We'll find out, won't we? Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. So should we move on to Snowflake? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's quite appropriate for this time of year, actually. Yeah. Fine. So, US um, Company of the Week, Snowflake. Yeah, my summary of what this business does, I've listened to a couple of other podcasts about it. It's basically a cloud business that allows you to, all your different cloud services, it like groups them together and it's like almost like a search engine within the cloud. I don't still fully understand it. So I'll say from the off, that would stop me from investing in it because it's very, very complicated and I'm not clever enough for that. Mm. But I'll read the corporate overview from their website and see if they explain it any better than me. Snowflake's founders started from scratch and built a solution that would harness the immense power available in the public cloud. They created the Data Cloud, a global network where thousands of organizations mobilize data with near unlimited scale, concurrency, and performance. Inside the Data Cloud, organizations unite, unite their siloed data, easily discover and securely share governed data, and execute diverse analytic workloads. Wherever data or user lives, Snowflake delivers a single and seamless experience across multiple public clouds. Snowflake's platform is the engine that powers and provides access to the data cloud, creating a solution for data warehousing, data lakes, data engineering, data science, data application development, and data sharing. Snowflake's vision is a world with unlimited access to governed data, so every organization can tackle the challenges and opportunities of today and reveal the possibilities of tomorrow. I don't feel much wiser <laughs> what the business does, but it sounds very impressive. Um, on the company highlights, they have said that they've got they've got over $1.8 billion of remaining performance obligations, over 5,400 customers, 1.338 billion daily queries, 148 customers that generate over a million dollars in revenue, and a net revenue retention rate of 173%. So that means on average... If a customer spends £100 in one year, they'll spend £173 the next year. So they've come out with their Q3 results. Revenue for the quarter was £334.4 million, representing 110% year-over-year growth. And product revenue for the quarter was £312.5 million, also 110% growth. Remaining performance obligations was £1.8 billion, representing 94% year-over-year growth. Frank Slootman, chairman and CEO, said, Snowflake saw momentum accelerate in Q3, with product revenue growing 110% year-over-year to 312.5 million. Continued international expansion during the quarter resulted in product revenue from the EMEA and APJ regions. So that's Europe, Middle East and Africa. APJ must be Asia, Pacific and Japan. Up 174% and 219% year-on-year respectively. Our vertical industry focus is an important evolution of our selling motion and Snowflake continues to see broad industry adoption. In terms of the guidance for the full 2022 year, and we're in, this is the third quarter results, there's only one quarter left, but for the fourth quarter, they're guiding for revenue of 345 to 350 million. That represents year-over-year growth from 94 to 96%. And for the year as a whole, they're guiding for revenue of 1.126, 1.131 1 billion, and that's growth of 103 to 104%. In terms of the valuation, this is not a cheap company. And <laughs> it may be the most expensive we've ever looked at on the show, I think. Do you want to Ooh. guess the price to sales, John? Okay. Uh, I mean, this may be too high. I'll go, I'll go for 50. You're too low. Too low. It's 100. 100. 100.8. So it's got so it's sales of, what was it? They've done three of the four quarters for the year. So the 
the guidance for the full year, you can probably rely on sales of about 1.12 to 1.13 billion, market yeah. cap 113.7 billion. Ooh, it is gosh. absolutely, I mean, it's fantastic numbers, but it's yeah, it makes yeah, Ocado yeah. look like a value play. <laughs> it's just unbelievably expensive. <laughs> and as well, I don't know. So, obviously, I, part of it is if you can sustain the growth, because if you double a business and then it doubles again mm. the next year. Revenue, yeah. grow, revenue is actually grown by 4x in that period because you're yeah. doubling the doubled amount. So that yeah. ratio will come down to a quarter of what it was. So if they're, and I don't think they will be able to sustain, to sustain 100% growth a year because how yeah. on earth can you? But yeah. if they were to sustain 100% growth a year and they did that for three years, mm. so they double it, double it again and double it again. So revenue, so basically 8x revenue in the next three years, assuming the share price didn't change, that would put them at a price to sales of 12, no. which is like a much more reasonable figure. Yeah. I just, I mean, I think it's interesting to look at, but yeah, I, agree. I mean, it, I agree. It's got a price to sales of 100, I think you'd, yeah. you'd and be a huge market cap. Yeah, huge. you'd be absolutely bananas to pay it, I think. I think it's absolutely yeah. insane. But, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah. And we'll see. And it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out in the longer term. Yeah, well, it only listed back in October 2020. Yeah. It's actually, it listed at $250 a share and it's now at $371. Mm. I mean, the business has obviously doubled since then. So it's, you know, it's grown into its valuation a bit. It must have had a price of sales of about at least 150 at one point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's probably a bit on the expensive side for me. So, yeah. Of the six companies we've talked about today, so EasyJet, DS Smith, AJ Bell, Future, British American Tobacco, and Snowflake. If you had to buy one, which one would it be? I would probably go with DS Smith. I think they were very impressive results. And I like this sort of def- almost a defensive play on the growth trend. That is something that is appealing. So yeah, that that would be what I'd be going for. Uh, I'd possibly be going with British American Tobacco. Actually, I do yeah. like DS Smith though. Um, it yeah. was tough. I possibly picked yeah. British American Tobacco just so we didn't have the same pick. <laughs> but <laughs> it, between the two, it was actually quite otherwise it would be boring. Yeah, exactly. Fine, fine. So we do defi- actually definitely not snow je- uh, snowflake and definitely not EasyJet. Definitely not. I probably I should probably have EasyJet before Snowflake. Well, and that's that's interesting because there was a, a listener question. Do you want to read it out, Sam? Yeah, so we got a listener question. After hearing you guys tear into Vodafone, BT and Winfred, <laughs> wanted, to, uh, wanted to ask if there's ever a chance that you guys would get involved at a weak company at a great price. Mm. Uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, go on, go on. My answer is no. Um, I've tried it in the past. <laughs> uh, I tried it, I mean, the most recent, I tried it with Debenhams a few years ago. Mm. And luckily, I only lost 40% of my money uh, because if I'd <laughs> held it, I would have lost 100%. And I think, I mean, in fairness, when we've looked at Whitbread, BT and Vodafone, they're not in the state that Debenhams was in. Mm-hmm. So there is some difference. But I just think with if you buy a good business and you're wrong on valuation, the business can still grow into it. Whereas yeah. if you buy a bad business and you're wrong on valuation... I just feel like more can go wrong yeah. and that's possibly, I'm possibly a bit scarred because I've, I've been burned in the past, but also it's, it's, it comes down to whether, you know, how well do you want to sleep? Mm. I mean, I sleep a lot better 
knowing that I own good businesses and bad businesses. Yeah. What about I you? Mean, I, I would I would echo that. I it happened to me, and I sort of bought a business, I guess, for the wrong reasons. Uh, but that was Centrica, and you know, poor quality business. Um, but it was. I mean, it's been, I don't know how many chief executives it's been through in the last 10 years, I think at least three, and it's always been a turnaround play and there being some value to it. And I bought it on the basis of its, I suppose, its valuation. And it's it's not a quality business. And it, since holding it, I haven't actually sold it. It sort of sits there in my portfolio, almost as a reminder of that. Um, but it must have lost 75% of its valuation since then. And it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. It's got lots of structural problems. So, yeah, it's uh, the answer to the question is no. Yes, same for me. <laughs> I think, well, it's, it's the same, isn't it? It's, it's trying to catch a falling knife. And yeah, whenever and I've I, tried I, it, I've always cut my hand. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And I, I don't know, maybe I was a little bit too influenced by some parts of Ben Graham's the intelligence investor, possibly. Yeah, I think as well. I would say that the three business that were meant, yeah, I mean, I didn't like Whitbread, BT or Vodafone, but they, they are, I mean, the examples we've both given, mine's the worst example because the company went bust, <laughs> but Centrica and Debenhams are probably even worse businesses than those, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just the principle. I'd rather hold good businesses than bad businesses because it's just one less thing to worry about. And you can yeah. like say, it, I know it, it it helps being in the sort of market environment that we're in at the minute. But you can buy a you can buy a good business and get the valuation wrong. And if it's a good business, even if you've overpaid, you might not get a market beating return, but you can still get a pos- positive return as the business grows into the valuation. Whereas yeah. if you buy a bad business, especially a business that's shrinking, mm. I mean, if you're getting a de- decline in earnings and multiple compression, it can be mm. very, very painful. That's right. So even if it looks cheap at one point, it's it can it can get it can get worse. It can always get cheaper. <laughs> it can always and it can go to zero. So it doesn't really matter where where it you know where it starts at. But yeah, no. Um, anything else to say on that? Not really. Just it's some people do very well doing that, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> no, no, neither am I. Um, and I suppose, yeah. And, and if you are, you know, like Sam says, if you are buying a quality business, if you're not paying a hundred times sales, if you're if, if you're paying, you know, even if it's a little bit on the pricey side, well, it's probably you've only paid a little bit over the odds for it, and if it's or if it is growing, then it will grow into that too. So yes, it may you, you maybe could have got it at a better price, but you know, timing the market is impossible. Right. I think that's everything in that case. Okay. Well, we'll thank you for listening and see you again next time. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIW Tweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.